Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40-odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. We hope you're navigating this challenging world we have at the moment. The bus is in the shed, however. It's getting the final once over. And I reckon before long, we'll be back on the highway. The end is nigh. If you're new to the bus, what's the show all about? Well, just very quickly, we find interesting people, an eclectic bunch, who have a point of view or an opinion on something that we can extract from them to help us get our mojo working or perhaps the mojo of a friend who's feeling a bit flat or a bit off. Thank you very much to all our Patreon supporters who keep the fuel in the bus. You know who you are, many of whom actually I've spent time on Zoom, as the kids call it today, learning all the new tech and lingo. Uh, It's been a real pleasure actually to meet some of the people around the world who support our show. So thank you so much for your ongoing support because this show has from day one run sadly with no ads and no sponsors. Hello, our friends at Doseki, uh, if you want to send a carton through. Uh, but if you want to support us, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, search the show, you'll find it, kick the can. It helps cover our costs and it also lets us know that you are out there. This week we're heading to the 80s, 80s town, due north. We're going to do that just before we start. Speaking of music, AP, the question I have for you is what do you remember of the 80s? And number two, what was the soundtrack of your 80s? Uh, What do I remember from the 80s? Well, surprisingly, quite a lot, but I do know one thing that sticks in my mind, and that is having more hair and less gut. Um, As far as soundtrack is concerned, I would probably... I don't know, it's difficult because there's so many great records, but I think the one that consistently sat on the turntable was All Fool's Day from The Saints. He would remember, he would remember nothing of the 80s because I was there with him in radio in the 80s and let me tell you, AP was not in the building. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say too much <laughs> if I were you, Bertie. Otherwise, uh, I might have to bring up the story of the foil McFisto. Lola, <laughs> what's your soundtrack from the 80s? How's this one? <laughs> Oh, Lola, some classic 80s pub rock. Good for you. So before we start, where were you in the 80s and what was your soundtrack? Uh, I was at school until 86 uh, and then I had my first job. I worked at Brash's, the record store, the old record store here in Australia until 88. And then I went and worked for my old man for the last two years of the 80s doing my butcher's apprenticeship. So there you go. That was a pretty full decade. It's a good decade. Uh, Soundtrack? Oh, mate, I, I can't. That's that's you, you know me better than that. I can't answer that. But I mean, there's the, the two biggest things for me. The biggest album would probably be In Excess, Shabu Shabar. Mm. Um, about six months before that was released, my cousin dragged me to the local pub to see this new band he discovered called In Excess, and they were testing songs for Shabu Shabar. And I watched Michael Hutchins on stage and just went, "Wow, these guys are going to go a long way." Um, and favorite song from the eighties, I'd probably go with AP on the band. I love the Saints, but the song would probably be Ghost Ships, which was oh. one that span around in my car when I first um, when I first got my license. So yeah, but I, I, you could name just about any. 
any band or song from the 80s and there'd be some sort of memory there for me. I love my music, you know that. It's interesting, you know, you think about the history of bands, a lot of people would have discovered In Excess when they'd made it internationally huge. Mm. I saw In Excess support a band called The Flowers. Ice House. Which were Ice House, which was one of our former guests in Ivor Davies, uh-huh. one of the great singer-songwriters of all time in our country. Yep. But they were at a joint effort, what they called a joint effort at Queensland University where up-and-coming bands played. And can you imagine In Excess supported the flowers? <laughs> no, it's crazy. Ice House. Yep. Isn't, that, isn't that a bit of Aussie history? Oh, absolutely. But it just goes to show, you know, every startup starts doing it tough, starts supporting acts, and I think there might have been 80 people there, most of whom were drunk. Yeah, uh, yep. And they went on to play some of the biggest stadiums in the world. So, Well, they, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing. This is one memory of me seeing In Excess for the first time at the, um, the Greengate Hotel at Kalara was um, Tim Ferriss's guitar ant died, so they had to stop the show for 15 minutes to swap it out. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. let's go. I have a fact that is going to rock your socks talking about 80s music. Pop quiz, hotshot. Name the song and the artist that spent the longest time at number one in the US charts in the 80s. All right, I'm going to have a crack at this. Walk This Way, Aerosmith, Run DMC. Not even close. Okay, okay, let me have another crack. Uh, Born the USA, The Boss. Not even close. So far from cold, it's not funny. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Kids in America, Kim Wilde. Nope. <laughs> You're gonna shout tears for fears. No, no shout tears for fears. No, not even close. You're gonna drop your starship. P- we built this city. Nope. You're so far away. I know, I know, I know. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got. No, no, no. Never gonna give you up, Rick Astley. <laughs> Did I get it? Not even close. Is, this is gonna surprise uh, okay, a lot of no, people. Okay, no, no, no. Fame, Irene Cara. Mm, you're getting a little warmer, but you're still a fair way off. Oh, God. Uh, take on me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. The number one song, the, the song. Toto that, Africa. <laughs> the song that spent oh. the longest amount of time at number one in the US charts. It spent 10 weeks at number one. Olivia Newton John, physical. Oh, no. That's tragic. I didn't even know that. I just went, wow, that would be the last thing that I would pick. There's another couple of killer facts around this song, though. Um, The song was actually originally written for Rod Stewart, but he turned it down. Olivia recorded it and almost didn't release it because she thought it would hurt her girl-next-door image. And the other remarkable fact about this, the song that the second-highest number-one song in the US in the 80s was Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. It spent nine weeks of Olivia's ten weeks at number two. So the number two and the number one song of the 80s were actually both number one and number two in the charts at the same time. So there you go. Remarkable fact done. The Mojo Radio Show. (laughs) We don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. Well, think about this. Originally formed as a trio in London in 1981 by friends Sarah Dallin, Shaborn Fay, and Kieran Woodward, named the band. It's not Banana Rama. There you go. Banana, 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 banana. She's got it. <laughs> There's two things now. Number one is Banana Rama. 
were the female pop musical vocal team that brought us I'm Your Venus. But Bananarama is the theme for this show. So the whole show is themed around bananas, which I'll get to in a second. The other reason that this show is inspired by the 80s is I was on one of our Zoom calls with the Patreon supporter this week and he said, actually, I'm kind of enjoying my time the last couple of weeks. And I said, why is that? He said, because I feel like I'm back in the 80s. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, kind of the kids are out in the street riding bikes and there's less cars on the road. I can have a really easy breakfast with the family and no rushing. I haven't got to commute to work. There's no big hassles anymore. There's no rushing. And I'm not distracted by a lot of things. I'm always home early with the kids. And people are kind of happy just to sit and chat. And he said, in his words, he said, I'm having more barbecues and I'm not sitting on planes. And I thought, actually, it's really interesting. It is kind of 80s. And my question to him was, with the new normal that's about to set in, what part of the 80s is going to stay in his new world? So what rituals, routines, standard operating procedures, what stays and what goes when things get back to the common way of operating, which was prior to this period of the pandemic? And I don't know, I think it's a really interesting thing for everyone to think about is that people are feeling very fulfilled at the moment and it is the upside to what has been tragic for a lot of people. The upside is for a lot of people, it's been a wake-up call. I do wonder what is going to stay in place when things get back to the new normal. And I reckon that framing of the 80s is uh, is a really good way to think about it. Yeah, I, I have a, a, a major fear that people are going to forget everything that they've learned during these last couple of months and we in, give it six months and this will be a distant memory and everyone will be back in the frantic rush and the haven't got time for breakfast, can't do this, can't do that, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. That's my feeling anyway. So I, uh, my suggestion, folks, and I don't say this often, but this is, I think, one of the most valuable and actionable shows we've done in quite a long time. My suggestion is get your journal out take the time to think about what our guest today has done and how you can apply it to your own company or your own category. This is a super valuable show and there is no category, no business, no category. If you've got customers or clients, you can't do a version of what this guy has done. His name is Jesse Cole. He's the founder of Fans First Entertainment and he's the owner of a baseball team called the Savannah Bananas, and we'll t- we'll cover that off in the show. His team has welcomed more than one million fans to the ballpark. Now, this is a team that nobody wanted. Think of the worst team in the worst competition, and that was these guys. Since then, he's turned all around. He's now been featured on CNN and ESPN. His team has been awarded the Organisation of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year, and they've won three championships in four years. As you'll hear, this is not just an extraordinary story, but by every metric, these guys have been a success. The Savannah Bananas have sold out every game for three straight seasons and have a waiting list of thousands of people waiting for tickets. This is an extraordinary interview. Jesse wrote the book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out, which we'll cover off. It's a number one in three categories on Amazon. And his mantra is, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So 
just to cover off what he's done and how he's done it and how we can apply it to our own company or business or life. Jesse, mate, it's a real pleasure. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Fired up to be with you guys today. When people meet you for the first time and don't know who you are, what you're about, and they ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> I run a circus here in Savannah. So, uh, I mean, I'm a father, I'm a husband, but I'm a showman. And uh, I'm, I own the Savannah Bananas and we create a circus at our ballpark. So let's let's just start there just very quickly to find to work out how you got to that point. The backstory, you, you spent... to buy a baseball team on February 25, 2016. How did that come to be? How did you find yourself in that position? So long story short, I uh, played baseball my whole life, tore my shoulder in college, that into that, and I uh, got a job as a general manager of a team at 23 years old. How do you get the job of a GM at 23? Well, it's the worst team in the entire country. So we took over the worst team imaginable, and it was failing. $268 in the bank account on my first day, 200 fans coming to the games, and we had to reinvent what we were doing. So we, we came up with the idea to no longer be a baseball fan, a baseball team. We were going to be a circus. And so I told the owner of the team then that, hey, we're going to have players doing choreographed dances, grandma beauty pageants, flatulence fun nights, salute to underwear nights. We tried it all, and we started creating attention. But later bought that team, took on a lot of debt, and sold that team. And then I had the opportunity to come to Savannah, Georgia. And there was professional baseball there for 90 years. We're not professional baseball. We're one of the lowest levels. And we uh, had the idea to come there after professional baseball had failed. The city said, we'll give you a shot. And we showed up and it was bad. And so we took on an outrageous amount of debt. Uh, The total debt was $1.8 million. It wasn't just buying the team. That was what we had to put in to actually get the stadium back functioning because the former team took everything out of the ballpark. They cut the phone lines, they cut the internet lines. And it was myself, my wife, our 24 year old president and three 22 year olds that first day. And, uh, we had to do things dramatically different to have success. And unfortunately, uh, we failed right away. That's where we uh, struggled. And it's interesting because it's a, it's a bit to unpack there, but that area that you moved into, as you just said, had a history. It was a 90 year history in baseball. Babe Ruth, like some of the, the greatest ever came out of that area. There's a load of professional baseball heritage. And you walked in and said, we're going to make this into a show. Was You must have got huge kickback from the traditionalists who went, there's a long history here, son. You can't do that. A hundred percent. You know, and I, I, I've learned over the years that uh, if you're not getting criticized, you're playing it too safe. And so we had to embrace the criticism and we looked at what was happening in Savannah, Georgia, with all the greats that ever played here, a Mecca to the, the greatest professional ball players over 90 years. And there was only a couple hundred fans coming to the game. And just by talking to people, you know, many said baseball's too long, too slow and too boring. And we weren't focused on the traditionals. We were focused on the other people that were coming to the ballpark. And we were probably going to lose some of the traditionalists. And we did. Some said this is too much of a circus, too much of a show. But we realized that we wanted to make the game fun. And, you know, I think that's the starting point of all innovation. Look at what are the frustrations, the friction points in any industry and try to do the exact opposite. And if you talk to most people, they would say baseball is a little too long, too slow and too boring. And so that was our first starting point. And so we said, all right, how do we make it fast, nonstop entertainment, no dead air? 
you know, a full pep band, a breakdancing first base coach, a senior citizen dance team. We make it into a circus and see what happens. And that's what we decided to do. But, you know, the first six months, we were too scared. We were acting like everyone else. And we only sold two tickets in our first few months. And that's when it got worse. And we overdrafted our account and had to sell our house and empty out our savings account. And my wife and I were sleeping on an airbed. And that was just four years ago. At that time, Jesse, when you were, you sold your house, emptied your savings, and you were sleeping on an air mattress just, just to make ends meet. You're basically, you're broke and you're putting everything into this team because you could, you, you, you could see, you could see, you had a vision for it, a dream for it. You wanted to make it happen. What, what kept the relationship tight during that, during that time? Because that's normally a time when relationships are at the, the biggest stress point, the biggest pressure comes on. How did you, tell me about that time with you and Emily. How did you keep it together? Oh, without getting emotional, uh, you know, Emily's believed in me every day since we met. And um, she has this passion and purpose for caring for other people even more than herself. And that's kind of how she was grown, how she was brought up from her family. And so she never blinked an eye. She was the one that turned to me and said, we have to sell our house. And the Savannah Bananas was not her passion, her purpose. Her passion and purpose is family. And so um, when you have someone like that, it wasn't even, it was no big deal. It was like, all right, we're selling our house. It was like, hey, we have $30 this week. We have to do all of our food shopping with $30, which guys, that's not real food. We had $30 for a whole week of food. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was, that was her approach. And, and, you know, people look back and they ask us like, you know, how did it feel to fail? And I was like, we weren't focused on the failure. We were focused on our next at bat. And I think, you know, now as we record this and the challenges going around the world, I mean, the reality is like, you can focus on what's happening to you or can focus on what you're going to do. And so many people would make a baseball analogy. They strike out once or twice early in the game and they're done for the rest of the game because they're already in their head focusing on what happened before. No, you can get a game-winning home run at the end of the game and you could strike out three times beforehand. So we were focused on what we needed to do next. And for us, we had to create attention. You can, uh, people really don't care. They don't have the eyes and ears of your customers. You don't have anything. So we had to get attention before they could understand our heart. And that was why we named the team after a fruit and started getting dramatically different on who we were going to be so people would at least start talking about us. How, how has that period affected your relationship today, Jesse? Because you guys have really put it all on the line. And I'll get into the results in a second because this is an incredible story of the worst team into a great success story. And I'll get into the actual stats shortly. But how, how has that impacted your relationship today? Um, fearless. We're not scared as much. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Uh, two, two nights ago, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning to grab water and Emily's you know, pacing in the living room. And she's just thinking about everything. And you know, as we go into this, we don't know what's going to happen to our season and all the people that we care about on our team. And she's just thinking about it. But she's not scared. She's just thinking about what, what's needed, what has to happen next. So in regards to our relationship, and I think we just know we're there for each other. I mean, she started some other businesses that I'm helping support her, and she's supporting me. And we have a, a, an amazing son who we're supporting. And I think uh, when you go through challenges and adversity, it makes you so much stronger that you're not afraid of what's to come next. I told her about a year ago, we may end up on an airbed again, but I'll tell you, it'll, be, it'll build a great story. And it'll be an adventure. And I'd rather go through life with adventures than go through life being bored. And I've shared before my biggest life, my biggest fear in life is settling, not necessarily settling down, but just settling and saying, you know what? Hey, that's okay. 
I want to keep pushing and, and making an impact. And Emily and I are both feel the same way. So uh, we're grounded. We, we share every night before we go to sleep. Uh, we do rose, rose, bud, which means we talk about two things that were great from the day, two of our roses and one of our buds. Um, her word for the year is gratitude. My word for the year is optimism. We have a, wrist, uh, a wristband that we wear every day with those words on it. Um, so we're celebrating optimism and gratitude every day and we talk about it. And I think that's really helped our relationship. It's interesting, Emily, your wife, I found a, a comment she made and she said, people crave human interaction. Do you think that with what you've done for the last couple of years, what you've seen, the results, and not even so much the results, but seeing, being able to look into the eyes of people that you are impacting for you and Emily, do you, do you get a sense that true human interaction is diminishing somewhat today? Yes and no. I, I feel like it is a, a, a great cause for us that we're working together on. And I think bringing together people and treating them like family and caring for them like family is a huge purpose that we're working on every day. And amidst all the fun and the craziness, yes. And I'll never forget, you know, just the last year, you know, a gentleman, big mustache, comes up to me after a game, gives me a huge hug. And I say, whoa, whoa, what was that for? Appreciate it, man. He goes, you have no idea how much your games mean to me. And I go, oh, thanks. That means a lot. He goes, no. No, Jesse, you have no idea. He goes, my mother and I haven't talked in years, but she came to a game, watched the players dance, watched the senior citizen dance team, listened to the pep band and had the time of her life. Now, my mother and I sit together at every game. Your games have helped bring together the relationship with my mother and I. And when we think about moments like that, and that happens, those stories about seeing a great grandkid with their great grandparents and people that are two to 82 dancing together during the games and singing together for the games and having our fans talk about that and tell our staff what they mean to us, it gives us a huge purpose and a return on purpose. And so to answer your question, as far as human interaction, it's huge. It's everything. And that's why even today when we can't work at the stadium uh, every day, we have lunches together with our staff. We eat food together with our staff on virtual you know, video call. We have happy hour together. We are constantly connecting and uh, just this past week, you give you an idea of Emily, we, we came up with the idea to deliver groceries to every one of our people's homes um, just to show that we're there and we care for them because that interaction is, is everything. There's a saying that you use a lot, which is normal gets normal results. And you used the word settle before, and it's surprising how many organizations, teams, charities settle for what's normal. But you challenge normal. You won't settle for status quo. Take us through a day at the ballpark. That guy comes in with his wife. They're going to a game from leaving home, going through a normal day. Take us through the experience they have of pulling up at the ballpark, going to the ground, what do they see, feel, touch, taste. Just take us through a normal day, a normal game. <laughs> well, we try to make every experience remarkable. And we've realized from back in the day when we had to sell, uh, market like crazy and advertise like crazy and it wasn't working, um, that now we spend zero dollars on marketing and advertising and we've been fortunate to sell out every single game and because we put all of our investment into the experience. So it actually starts before they show up. So, you know, when you buy a ticket from us online, the first thing you'll get is a video 
And it's with me. Congrats. You just made the best decision of your day. Right now, as you bought your tickets, a high-priority siren went off in our stadium, and our Bananiacs ran to the ticket laboratory to produce your tickets. Then a banana nana slowly walked in and hand-selected your tickets and placed them on a silk pillow. And we raised the silk pillow up to the air, and we sang, Na Savenya Nahi, to celebrate the birth of a new fan. And then we brought your tickets down to our wall, where they're in maximum security, and they're ready for you to go bananas. So that's the first step. <laughs> and then we give a thank you call to people who bought tickets. We actually had an intern that started with us about three months ago that he said, you know what? We should make the calls more fun. I go, what do you have in mind? He goes, what if we wrap them? And so his name's Austin. And he says, I'm a little awkward, so I can't do the raps. I'm like, no, you will 100% do the raps. You're Austin, the awkward bananas rapper. So now he actually does awkward raps thanking people for buying tickets. So that's the next step. Then our ticket experience coordinator will send you a playlist of music to listen to on the way to the ballpark. So we're setting the tone with a different song like Can't Stop the Peeling and uh, This is Bananas and other songs that are kind of fitting to what we do. Then as you get to the parking lot, I'd hope the first thing you would see is our parking penguins. Yes, we actually have people in penguin costumes parking your car. Does it make any sense? Of course not. But we thought it'd be funny if you got parked by a penguin. And then when you're walking by, if, you have a, if you're with a little kid... The parking penguins will hand you a freezy pop and say, stay cool tonight. Then after you pass the parking penguins, you'll see our players in full uniforms passing out programs and greeting the fans. Then you may see our pep band playing Final Countdown or, or the uh, um, Rocky theme music as you're coming up to the ballpark. And then you'll see our banana ticket takers ripping your banana-shaped tickets that we've done in the past. They were actually scratch and sniff and smell like bananas. Then you may get greeted by our professional high-fiver. Yes, we hired a professional high-fiver. We actually looked all over. We couldn't find one. So finally, a six-year-old and his mom walked into our, our stadium, and the six-year-old was high-fiving everyone on our staff. I said, you got the job, kid. And so now he's our professional high-fiver. He wears a jersey with his name is high, his number is five, and his job's to high-five over 2,000 fans a night. That's as you get into the stadium. Now, we have a full stage that we have performers, characters uh, that will, you know, entertain you, singers, dancers, et cetera, throughout the game. And that's, you know, how we try to envision what a game looks like. And again, it came from whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. A normal ball, ball game, you'll park the car, you'll rip your tickets, you'll go and you'll sit and you'll wait and you'll wait and you wait. And you might listen to some music. You might listen to lots of ads from different companies talking about their products. And then you watch a game where they play the game and there's not much going on in between. That was too boring. And so even just in that sense, we eliminated all advertisements from our stadium. There's no ads. We went completely ad-free. That's definitely not normal. We're the only one, I guess you could say, crazy enough to do it because throwing away hundreds of thousands of dollars. But we don't believe anyone wants to be advertised to when they come to a ballpark. We want them to have fun. It's why we made every ticket all-inclusive. You can get all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert, everything, and your game for one price. And that's $18 right now. Again, you eliminate those frustrations. So that's what we've been building over the years and so fortunate that we have people talking about it pretty regularly. Listening to those song titles, Gary, we need to get Jesse to give us a hand with the next explosive hits. Yeah, I think we need to build a song list. <laughs> That's awesome. We all live in a mojo submarine. I don't know. I'm just, just, I'm just whiteboarding here. Just, just, just something to start with, Jesse. Well, well guys, I'll tell you, our, our voicemail is uh, Savannah, na, na, na. You've reached the Savannah, bananas, na, na, na. <laughs> that song by Camilo, Camilo, or whatever. Yep. And, uh, and we've had uh, our whole music is ring, 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 banana phone, that like kid song. <laughs> so like, yes, 
we're constantly improvising and trying to think of ways to have fun with the brand. And I think, you know, so many companies take themselves too seriously. You know, mm. we need more. We need more fun. And you talk about mojo, you know, you want to get some mojo back. Hey, just have fun. You know, don't take yourself so seriously and, uh, you know, laugh a little bit more, dance a little bit more, sing a little bit more, put on a costume. You know, I mean, I think we need more of that in the world. And fortunately, as I'm recording this right now, I'm in our studio, which has all of our costumes, all of our crops. So you wouldn't imagine, guys, what I'm looking at right now, but it's not normal at all. I'll tell you that. You you open every game with The Lion King, which you just mentioned a minute ago. What's the significance? Why? What's the symbolism of The Lion King for you guys? If it doesn't make sense, it makes complete sense for us. So, for instance, the idea of opening a game with a with a banana baby. And so what we do is and we actually have a waiting list now for our banana baby. Uh, it's a baby under a year old. And we put the baby in a banana costume. We the mother or father goes to home plate. We have all the players on their knees in a circle around the mother or the father and the baby. And they raise their arms up in the air and the whole stadium. Four thousand strong raises their arms in the air. And we say, fans, it's now time to introduce your banana baby and let's feel the vibes and we play Nasavania and it's just obviously inspiration from Simba in Lion King. It makes zero sense, but the fans absolutely love it. I mean, it's why we have Barney uh, take the field with our umpires and play the song. I love you. You love me. And Barney gives a massage to the umpires while the game before the game starts. We look at all the boring parts in baseball and make them fun. The visiting lineup is often presented by the Grim Reaper. And we have the Grim Reaper walking on the dugout playing the Undertaker theme song and literally with a uh, with a scythe with a, a banana on it, pointing it down at the other team. And like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's fun. And that's what we want all those boring points in a game to be fun. Our pregame announcements, we have a, an intern sing, smoking is prohibited inside Grayson Stadium, so please take it outside. There's a place in the front to smoke if you want. Thank you for all your cooperation. And that's that Ariana Grande song. We turned it into a song because pregame announcements are boring. Make them fun. Do you know it's interesting, Jesse, because there'd be people listening going, oh, it's fine for you, mate. I work in construction. Oh, it's different for us, mate. We work in finance. And there'd be people, but what I find fabulous about what you do apart from the actual execution of it but then you will go and shop your own event as a guest and it's something that I look at the airlines in our country or our telecommunications companies and I don't need to prompt Robbo with what we go through but there's no way the leaders those organizations are shopping their own products because it's just what what they put Australians through in our country there's no way that the leader of an organization could go through it and be happy with it sitting on the phone for 20 minutes saying, we appreciate your patience. But you you actually shop your own events from the car park right through, don't you? Just to get a sense of, well, what is normal or what's not normal? Yeah. If we want to deliver the best possible fan experience and, and you know, I use fans and I think everyone should use fans, um, whether you're in construction, whether you're in finance, um, there's a difference between a customer and a fan. A customer is transactional. They come and they go. But fans never leave. And I believe the future of business and successful companies are going to be on how many fans you have and on how many customers you have. So yes, fans are known in sports, but I would start talking about fans. And the way to create fans is that you have to literally look at all the different levels of the experience and how you map it out. And so we're constantly trying to look at what would it be like to be a fan? 
And if you want to say, oh, just put yourself in the customer's shoes, we actually do it. It's called Undercover Fan. And every one night, everyone on our staff, uh, one person will go completely undercover. I'll take the yellow tux off. I'll park with the fans. I'll stand, sit in line with the fans. I'll, you know, eat with the fans. I'll talk to the fans and I'll go through an entire experience. And I'll tell you last year, and there's a video of this, I pull in into the parking lot and I hit a pothole and my car bottomed out. And I was like, this is the worst first impression ever. I didn't know about that. You better believe the pothole got, pothole got filled about <laughs> three hours after the game. Um, that's the difference. And so we do undercover fan because we want to know what it's like. What parts are boring to us? How is the food at eight o'clock? You know, we go through 10,000 pieces of meat in a couple hours. Is the food as good at eight o'clock as it is at six o'clock? We don't know that. What lines are going slow? How are we greeted by our staff? And so we do undercover fan and then we're also doing frontline fan. And we consider our team members, our staff, our fans as well. So all of us will also work on the front line, whether that's serving ice cream, serving beer, ripping tickets, because we don't also, we can't tell someone on the front line, this is how you should be until we actually put ourselves in their shoes. And I believe every CEO, president, executive, everyone from any company should do both of that. Put yourself in your other employees' shoes and then put yourself in the customer's shoes. That's gold. That's gold. There's gold in them, they're bananas. It's gold. It's beautiful. That whole customers versus fans, how many fans do you have, map out the experience. That is uh, that is a golden banana ride. We could stop the show. We've, if we, if we've probably hit our crescendo, I think. Yellow gold. Love is better than like. You know, today, all we're measuring is, you know, we're measuring how many, how many followers, how many likes do we get on a post, you know, how many people are on our email list. It's, it's better to have 100 people that absolutely love you than 1,000 people that kind of like you. And to give you an example, so we involve our fans in our music videos. We just sent an email out yesterday to have our fans be in our next music video. And we'll probably have about 100 people that as soon as they get that, they're putting on their bananas gear and they're filming themselves dancing like crazy people and be a part of that. Those are the people that literally are going out of their way to tell people about the bananas. How valuable is that person versus someone that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to a game or I've heard about you guys. So what do you do to create that? What do you do to actually foster that and do special things and take care of them? You can't do amazing things for every single fan. But the people that love you, go all out on them. Do extra things like that. Give an example. I just heard the other day one of our people, uh, our ticket experience coordinator and our vice president, they saw one of our fans said, oh, man, what, what I would do to have some Oreo cookies and milk from Walmart right now because they're staying at home. So Barry texted Matt. Matt ran, grabbed Oreo cookies and milk and dropped it off in her mailbox an hour later. That's for a fan. And what do you think that fan is saying about that? And again, it's just a little example. We're not getting Oreo cookies and milk for everyone, but that's what we've been trying to create. And I'm so excited to see our team just thinks about that based on the principle of listen carefully and respond creatively. When you listen carefully and respond creatively to your fans, it's amazing how big of a fan they become. What's a PFT for you? Just based on that fan concept, that philosophy you're taking, how do you just, what's a PFT and how do you use it for yourself, for the bananas? Sure, something we didn't realize we were doing, but we've done it for a while. It's the perfect fan testimonial. And so think of it this way. If any company or even this podcast as a whole could just have one review, one Google review, one review total, about your company, what would you want it to say? And that's a big, grandiose question, but the reality is if you can find that, you can reverse engineer how you create your experience. So for us, we kept it simple. We didn't go into the really, the all in depth, we kept it simple. We said, hey, it was the most fun I've ever had at a baseball game. It was like a circus and a baseball game broke out. 
And with that, all we know is that we got to create fun at every step of the way and create a circus-like atmosphere. We know if we do that, everything else will take care of itself. And so, because that's who we're targeting. We want people that want fun. If you want some serious, something professional, something traditional, it won't work. And what that does is a great polarizing effect for, um, you know, for baseball as a whole. So we've heard people say like the YMCA, it's like, I want our kids to feel like superstars. Perfect. Build a superstar experience. You know, I want this to feel like a good. Have you designed the experience to feel like being at home? What matters most to you? And words are very important and that's that's been very helpful for us. So I just want to take an off-ramp here because I think what you're saying is terribly profound for any leader or any person about to start a business. And this is all very, they're all things we can choose to do. The flip side of this off-ramp is actually what's happened. And I just want to read you something that I found, Jesse, and then I'll get you to fill us in with the back end. Georgia Southern University professor Curtis Sproul was immediately skeptical when you started doing this. And he said, what happens in the movies where you take the lovable losers and put them in a great environment and they beat the Yankees, that doesn't happen in real life, Sproul said. So Sproul wanted to test it. He compared the on-base percentage plus slugging percentage for every player in the Coastal Plain League over three years. He looked at how players performed in college before and after they played in the league. The results were clear. Bananas players were the only ones in the league whose scores, when averaged together, showed a demonstrable improvement each year. He said, I was shocked when I saw it. Since its debut in 2016, the team has won its division twice and the league championship once. In fact, last summer, you went 35 and 15. So I guess what I'm setting up here is that what you're doing actually is having a result, not just for attendance, which we'll cover off in a second, but actually in performance of the players and the team. This actually is working in in every metric. Yeah, it's wild, you know, and we started noticing. In fact, the four years of Savannah Bananas that existed, we've had more wins than any other team in the entire league. And if you look at all the players, they are playing better. Their numbers, we're having more all-stars, more guys going to professional baseball. And what it proved is that if you create a great culture and you create a great atmosphere where people can have fun, they perform better. And it sounds so simple, but look at yourselves, you guys doing this show, which I know you enjoy. You will have a better show because you enjoy it. So it's very simple that if you focus on the environment, the culture and the fun, you will get better results. Now, that wasn't what our our intention was just to, hey, we're about the fans. We're going to focus on the fan experience. We're going to focus on our player experience. But we never thought of it all, you know, encompassing like that. But it's been unbelievable to see the results. I don't spend any time and I mean zero time focusing on the baseball. But I I spend all of my time focusing on the experience. And I tell the players every year, I go, I want this to be the best summer of your life. And I remember after that first season, a couple guys who were conditional players, who were only supposed to stay with us for a couple weeks, they stayed the whole year. After we won the championship, they ran over and hugged me and said, you were right. This was the most fun and best summer we've ever had in our entire life. And if you create that, how do you think they'll perform? You know, when they when they go into the stands every night, we have players go into the stands and they get down to a knee and deliver roses to little girls in the crowd. Some of our players actually go on dates with fans, elderly fans during the game. And we have our saxophone players play music and serenade them. Our players dance on dugouts. They're singing on the field during games. 
They are doing things that you would never imagine players to do, but they are having fun. And when they're having fun, then they get on the field. You better believe they're performing at the top of their game. So I think in general, I think fun should be a course. I think, I think we should be teaching businesses to have fun and, and not focus on being so professional because the results are, are speaking for themselves, at least in our, in our element. It's interesting. What's, what's curious about this is it must have been a challenge to find a baseball coach who will bring a high-performance focus on the field for the players and a training when the actual focus of the organisation is on high performance, but performance as in entertainment performance, that's a tricky one where the guy's got to concentrate on delivering on the ground. At the same time, the culture of the organisation is about the fan and fans first. Take us through how that has, how has that played out over a number of seasons, Jesse, with getting the right person to adopt this this tightrope between performance on the field and performance as in performing. Sure. And it took a while, you know, my first years with our first team in Gastonia, North Carolina, uh, it took a few years to get coaches that really understood uh, and appreciated the system that we were trying to build. But now in Savannah, the intentionality, it's very clear. The name of our company is fans first entertainment. Our mission is fans first entertain always. Every decision we make, is it fans first? So our coach, it's clear that we are as focused on the fan experience and entertaining them as the baseball. It doesn't say anything. Our team isn't fans baseball or baseball entertainment. It's fans first entertainment. So when we hire, we are very specific on what we do. Our players are going to dance during games. Our players are going to come out on uh, segues and take the mound. Our players are going to be in music videos. They're going to do parodies. You're going to be acting. We're going to have a break dancing first base coach that's on the staff. We're going to have a team grandma coach, which we hired for this year, that's going to be on the staff in a rocking chair. Like that is what you're walking into. And very easily people can say no. And a lot of people wouldn't work well for us. I've had many coaches saying I could never coach. That's fine. And I think it's more important sometimes to know, you know, who should not be a part of your team than sometimes who should be. And I was very clear. If you are by the books, serious baseball player, it has to be, you know, complete professionalism, you know, if you have, um, you know, your body language is all about the game. If you're someone that's going to be yelling and screaming and getting angry around our players, that's not the type of environment we're trying to create. We want a fun environment where people want to be at the ballpark every single day. So uh, we don't get a ton of applicants. We get tons of applicants for players, over a thousand. But when we looked for coaches, um, you know, it was only a few that really potentially could fit. And that was okay. Do you know something that I've and it's just really a, a curiosity of mine, is that your company called Fans First is almost, I suspect, in a way, the mission or part of your mission. And then when I heard you talking with Jason Jennings, who's a sales expert on your podcast, you said you've even named the roles of your executives away from traditional names into more titles that are intentional to the DNA of the organization. Has that been intentional on your part? Have you done those things specifically to focus or was it just a matter of doing something different? Yeah. What you talk about, what you recognize, the language you use is who you become. And I think it's, it's been very evident with us. Um, we don't believe in, we don't believe in sales and marketing. And as crazy as that sounds, uh, again, putting ourselves in people's shoes, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think you woke up this morning and said, you know what? 
I hope someone sells me something today. You know, I hope someone markets to me today. I want to be promoted to and advertised to more today. There's so much noise out there. So, so basically just thinking about, all right, if we're fans first and we're entertained always, why, and we don't believe in the sales and advertising, we don't even offer it at our stadium. Why would we have any sales position on any titles? And I talked to our, our, our VP who started as an intern, became the director of tickets. He said, Jesse, I've been so fortunate to, and he said the word, I've been so fortunate to sell, you know, I don't know, 100,000 plus tickets. And, and make that many impacts. But I've never once for one day thought of myself as a salesperson. And what we talk about serve over sell and we should serve our people. So if, if they never thought of themselves as a salesperson, why would we have that in our title? Why would we have a full-time marketing director if we spend zero dollars on marketing? <laughs> you know, and, and so we have experience in titles, employee experience, ticket experience. We've had a director of first impressions. We've had director of fun. You know, those are the titles that matter because it's really who we are and what we stand for. So everything, we don't believe in training. And I, and I mean that we don't believe in the word training. We believe that, you know, animals are trained, dogs are trained, people are led and coached. And so we don't have fans first training. We have fans first you. And that's where we actually teach coach and mentor our people and onboard them to learn the experience. So, you know, again, I think it's something that's helped us. Because if you say things over and over again and it's in your title, if it's in the language you use, if it's in your mission statement, that's, become, that, that's who you become. And we are very clear. It's a show. It's entertaining. It's about the fans. And that's, that's what we talk about. And it's so funny. I, I, I did a video with all of our people just about a month ago. I just turned the camera and said, hey, what do we do here? And they were like, what? I go, what do we do here? What, what, what service do we provide? And it was funny. Not one person said anything about baseball. Everyone said something about the fans. And Katie, who just started with us for about a year now, she said, we provide a fantastic experience. And I was like, ooh, fantastic. Let's lean in on that. And so we started talking more about fantastic. And then instead of saying we're obsessed about our fans, we say we're fanatic about our fans. And so just thinking about that language, it becomes fans are everywhere. We, 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 we you know, breathe it. We live it. And we sleep it. And so even in our meetings, we have an empty chair that represents a seat of a fan. We have shoes that our fans gave to us. They're yellow fun shoes. Those are our fan shoes. And sometimes we'll say, put those on. When fans walk into our stadium in our office, we stand. And I said, you know, just like the president was going to walk into your, your office, you'd stand. I go, we stand for the fans. As cheesy as that sounds, we stand for the fans. So it's that language that everyone understands, hey, who's writing our paycheck and who do we serve? And that's been very important to us. That'll be on a T-shirt by Friday. Fantastic. We stand for the fans, Robbo. There's a new Mojo Radio Show T-shirt. Sign in the, it'll be on a T-shirt by Friday. It'll have to be a yellow T-shirt, but actually rather the idea of some shoes. I think that'd be nice. Some shoes. <laughs> We're not selling the shoes yet. Well, we do have Dolce and Banana underwear. That's no joke. We actually sell Dolce and Banana underwear. And so that's been a fun item for us. I, as well. I'm on a bit of a bent here and I'm interested in your thought considering the, the stuff that you're coming up with. I, I'm keen on a Mojo radio show tea towel. What are your thoughts? What's a tea towel? A tea towel, you know, like you wipe <laughs> your dishes with. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> Like you, you, you guys, you guys would use them to wipe your, you know, you use them to wipe your dishes up when you're washed up. We call it a tea towel. Not sure what you guys might call it. I think yeah, it would make sense. Why not? Again, whatever's will do the exact opposite. Why wouldn't you guys have? One I think it's better than toilet paper, personally. Yeah, see, we're looking into yellow toilet paper right now. It's gross as that is. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Jesse. I want to, I want to switch this around to you as the leader a little, and I've just got a, it's just, it's just a curiosity of mine. I'm going to talk about PT Barnum in a second. 
But you said that you have no interest in moving up to the major leagues. Now, what's common today is people want to keep improving, going to the next level, growing, getting bigger, more revenues, more ego associated to it. But you've said, I have no interest in the major leagues because in your mind, you feel as though there are too many restrictions and you probably couldn't execute the same way in the majors. Yet, as your alter ego, P.T. Barnum, I suspect would probably see that as the greatest challenge. What's, what's your take on that? Like, how do you actually think through that when part of you says, well, it's normal, why wouldn't I go for it? But the other part goes, it's probably not for me. So this is good. Let's get into Barnum. So Barnum, you know, started with his museum. He created a, you know, an amazing American museum. It burned down a few times, but it was his museum. It was his thing that he controlled. He controlled the environment. He controlled the atmosphere. He controlled what he was creating on a daily basis. He hired all the acts. He made it. Then at the end of his career, what he's most known for, obviously, is, is the circus, which he created, obviously, and c- came up with the whole concept of the circus, what it would look like. And then he took it on the road and with Bailey and, you know, obviously the Barnum and Bailey circus. Now there's a difference there. So as he was able to control the experience and the same reason why Walt Disney, one of our other mentors, the reason Walt Disney that actually created Disneyland was because he wanted to control the experience on where he could bring all the characters into different lands together. At a movie theater, he couldn't control. The theater could be dirty. You know, the sound couldn't be great. It's not necessarily an amazing experience. So again, controlling your dependencies is actually one of the best ways to innovate and to grow. And so when you look at Major League Baseball and even Minor League Baseballism, it's so big and so bureaucratic that you can't do half of the things that we are doing that we have seen fans absolutely love. You can't have the players dance. You can't have the players interacting in the crowd and doing promotions. You can't do that. So when I look at that level and the opportunity, because the, the owners are making billions of dollars and killing it, they have no reason to change, even though attendance is declining dramatically. What we can do is build the bananas, create what we think would be the best baseball experience in the world, the most exciting, fastest, nonstop entertainment experience you never believed we could create. And we could take that on the show. I take that on the road, just like PT, just like PT Barnum did. So that has a much bigger um, interest for me and our team because that no one can tell us we can or can't do this. And I think of an innovator, a person that really wants to create and change the world and make an impact. Whenever you get told you can't do something, that can definitely fire you up. But if, if there's ways where they really can prohibit you from doing it, get me out of there. I want to start running and trying things. And I think building a world of experimentation and, and what we do every day at the ballpark, we try new things we've never done before. That's fun. And like I said, I don't want to settle. And if I have to get into Major League Baseball and they tell me I can't do this over and over again, I'm out. So that's that's the reason behind it. I know you are a fan of Todd Herman. He's been on your show. And we, we spoke to Todd season six after I read the alter ego effect and you're you have a, you have all the makings of a great alter ego you speak and have researched heavily of P.T. Barnum you introduce yourself at the head of the show as the showman you even have a totem when you when you step into P.T. Barnum when you step into that alter ego, how does that feel? What do you think? What are the triggers for you? Where does it take you? It's a good question. So, you know, when I started this, I would, I would, I was dressed like a normal front office executive. You know, I'd wear a polo and pants, and that was me. And then I just started to keep thinking about we're putting on a show. 
And if I'm going to put on a show, I got to get into this type of, of feel, this type of look, this type of uniform. And, you know, I played baseball my whole life and you put on your uniform, it's game time. As soon as you put on, you know, you put on your, your, your baseball pants and you put on your jersey and your hat, it's, 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 it's go time. And I realized as soon as I made the decision that I'm going to, you know, embrace the PT Barnum of what we're doing and wear a suit, I thought immediately it's showtime. And this became my uniform. So this is all, you know, when this comes on, it's uh, I realize more what my job is to do. And it's to put on a show. It's to entertain people. It's to bring joy, to bring fun. And, it, and more than anything, it's become something not just for myself, but the bigger picture. If you think about it, it gives permission to every single person on our staff, everyone on our team, don't take yourself too seriously. And you know what? It's okay to have fun and put on a show and entertain our fans. If the owner of the team is dressed up in a crazy yellow tuxedo and he's singing and he's dancing and he's having fun, I can have fun too. And I think that's the bigger picture of the mentality that we're trying to create. And I challenge our team as well. I go, hey, what accessories are you wearing? Are you wearing a boa tonight? Are you wearing a crazy hat? Are you wearing wild pants? Are you putting Dolce & Banana underwear on over your pants? What are you doing? Because I think that we need more of. And uh, I've seen it first. When you can have people just start laughing because of how someone's dressed or how they're acting, uh, it adds a lot of great joys to many. And so that's, that's why I do it. Jesse, the yellow tux and the yellow top hat, which you wear everywhere, even when you're traveling through the airport, you put that on. What belief system, when you're wearing that, what belief system does that help you suspend? Because going into an alter ego allows you to access a part of you that, you, that may typically be held back. But what belief systems do you suspend when you put on your totem or your yellow tux and top hat? The thing that I always try to work on is there is, um, you know, not worrying what other people think. And that's a challenge that all of us have, and I still have regularly. Um, I wrote 159 blogs before I posted my first one. Um, so, yeah, I think that belief system is that, hey, uh, you know, people are thinking this guy's a crazy, this guy's a lunatic, this guy, what, what's wrong with him? Does he have problems? <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people do think that. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is uh, what I've seen is I've seen more people smile, laugh, uh, take videos, take pictures. Uh, and uh, I think that's a win in my book. Isn't that curious, though, that when I heard you talk about that, of how many blogs you wrote, but you wouldn't publish them for fear of whatever, yet here's a guy who will go through LAX in a yellow tux each and every other day and will walk out into a packed stadium as the ultimate showman, yet you fear putting out a blog Take, take us through that. What, what was the actual feel? Why, why was there disconnect between the showman in a live scenario and actually doing something in a written form where people can't see you? Why, why is that? Anytime you do something you've never done before, it's uncomfortable and I think it creates fear. And I think, or, you know, I think some of the greatest uh, athletes have described it as, uh, you know, excitement. And the reality is excitement and nervous feeling are very, very similar. And so you can either say it's a nervous nerves or excitement. So for me, you know, not ever putting out my thoughts, uh, the lessons I've learned um, in and in putting it out to the world is scary. Same thing when I wrote my book and putting that out. So, you know, I, I think embracing that and, you know, thinking when was the last time I did something for the first time? And if you can go about every day, every week doing things for the first time, 
that fear slowly goes away. And for me with the yellow tux, I wore it at our stadium first. The stadium is my home. This is where I live pretty much. I, I feel like people are coming into my home. I feel comfortable with that. Then I started wearing it, giving speeches. And I was like, okay, they know what they're getting, but that took a little bit getting over the fear. You know, and then I started wearing it all the time. And I'd be at restaurants and I'd be, you know, if I was wearing it, if I'm in working mode and I'd see it, then I had to get over that. And it's just putting yourself in those unique circumstances. And, you know, we've all heard it many times. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'm starting to really work, focus on, am I just growing or am I, am I growing in a comfortable space or am I growing in an uncomfortable space? And we can all think we're just growing, but if we're not actually pushing ourselves to uncomfortable space, we're really not reaching that tension to really truly grow. How do we bring this to children, Jesse? Because I, I love this story. I've always been a Barnum fan. I've always been a Disney Mickey Mouse fan. In fact, I've got Mickey Mouse in the studio. Tell me, tell me your, your view on bringing this mindset of energy and showmanship and a lack of fear and courage to, to do something different. How, in your experience of all you've done so far with, it's, it's been four years, the book, the speaking, how do we help bring this to children? Well, it's a great question. And I think um, going back to beginning of the show with Emily, um, she actually is in the process of finishing up a kid's book, uh, Going Bananas, and about a, a young girl um, who had some difficulties, some challenges, and uh, was picked on. And uh, she embraced what made her different. And she met a few characters along the way from the Savannah Bananas. And, uh, you know, her you know, her character was changed because of it. And I think, you know, if we can keep teaching kids that, you know, we don't need to fit in, we're born to stand out. I think it starts there. It starts by not trying to be conform and just everyone's doing it, say, hey, we got to do that as well. And um, yeah, I mean, if we had a few more kids dressing a little differently when they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight, we have a few different kids doing things that not everyone else is doing. That's good. And I think they shouldn't be ridiculed. I think it should be embraced. I think, you know, in education, we shouldn't be teaching the same things for everyone. We should give people opportunities to learn new things from new people and new, new environments. So, uh, you know, we're doing, a, we're doing a book. And then we're also going to start working more with kids in the baseball sense of actually teaching them uh, how to have fun playing baseball. And not just based on how you perform, but whether you're dancing, whether you're doing bat flips, whether you're celebrating in different ways and allow kids to have fun in their unique ability, in their unique ways. So uh, slowly but surely, and if our players keep looking, becoming you know celebrities, and if we keep building what we're doing with Savannah, then I think that will become more embraced. And uh, so that's that's our, our small steps we're taking at this point. It's beautiful. It's gold, golden bananas. Um, it's interesting with that, Jesse, that keep growing. And I want to try and thread a few things together here. But the result... Uh, they say that one of the greatest results when you're having an impact is people will duplicate and or copy or replicate what you're doing. And I read an article that said the rest of the league have actually taken notice of what you guys are doing. And at least half the teams now offer all-you-can-eat tickets, encourage more player-fan interaction, and routinely inject humour into their proceedings. And the article was about a new team in your league founded in Macon. This is one for you, Robbo. The team founded in Macon in 2018 have even called themselves Macon Bacon. Which is, that's very Mojo Radio Show. Nice. So on board with Imagine that. Imagine playing for a team. Who do you play for? The Macon Bacons? Macon Bacon. Oh, come on. Beautiful. Come on. That's so good. <laughs> that, 
That is, it must make you feel great to know that you've influenced a culture in so many ways. Then if I tie that back to you just saying it's important for us to keep growing, you you and the team must be thinking about the next thing to do. Tell me about your own thinking time, your own thinking processes, and how do you bring that to the team or the organization to keep finding and growing to the next idea? Yes, that's a great question. And yeah, it's definitely flattering when people are taking and, and utilizing uh, some of the things we're doing. I think we've done the same. We've learned so much from Disney and PT Barnum that we've brought it into our industry. So thinking time, uh, for us, everything's become uh, based on ideas and creation. So um, our secret sauce has been our idea paloozas. And we've been having those for years now. And we bring the whole team together. Uh, everyone submits three uh, different ideas based on some kind of uh, question or challenge or problem of how we can solve something for our customers or fans. And so an example uh, would be, uh, what could we do to make fans that want, want to stay for the entire game? Because even though every game sells out, fans leave um, leave because games are still too long. And so the ideas we got from that were unbelievable. People that say they're not creative, when you have to solve a certain problem, uh, it becomes really excited to, to come up with it. And we usually do it at the end of the day with drinks involved. So there's some drinking and, and fun as well. Um, but right now we had an idea Palooza on a Zoom call and our whole team, we said, all right, guys, we're all entertainers right now. We're all content producers. What can we do right now from our homes to entertain our fans and keep them um, you know, feeling good, having fun, and bringing joy and smiles to people. The ideas that came about from our group is was unbelievable, and they're still coming every day. We're asking that question every day now, and we're tripling and quadrupling what our content's going to be going out right now as people are home. And so for us, it, it's been the valuing um, what an idea means to this organization, and not just valuing what an idea means, but valuing that we're going to implement it. And I think we teach that and experiment. It's okay to fail. We did promotions last summer like Living Pinata, where we actually had an intern in a, in a costume and we had kids with plastic bats hit them on the field while they threw candy in the air. It was ridiculous. We probably won't do it again. We had another promotion like Cold Turkey, where we had two cold turkeys and gentlemen had to rub them on their stomachs and on their butts to try to get it as warm <laughs> as possible. It was so unsanitary. So disgusting and so gross. We probably won't do that again. But we embrace those ridiculous <laughs> We embrace those ridiculous stories. And we talk about them. So I challenge our guys, what is the next ridiculous thing we can do that we may not do ever again? And when you create that, it gives people permission to try things and experiment. So what I challenge every company is, hey, get together with your team, have an idea palooza with something that you're trying to solve something unique for your customers, whether maybe it's the new first impression, whether it's how they, you know, they walk into your store. Maybe it's what happens when they buy. What's the email that they get sent? Is it just a regular email like everyone else? You know, what, and what about the packaging? Like for us, we have now custom yellow boxes that have a big stamp that says delivered fresh. We have yellow tissue paper, a yellow koozie, a yellow decal, a handwritten, uh, a written letter that says, you know, sprinkled with potassium from the Savannah bananas. And it's a different type of experience. It didn't start like that, but it started with an idea palooza. So did the, you know, uh, the banana shaped tickets and the scratch and sniff smell like bananas. So you need to foster that creativity and embrace it and build it as a part of your team. And, you know, I've said before, ideas are currency, but it's implementation that will make you rich. And I think we need to continue to build that currency every day if you want to continue to grow. 
If you're putting if you're putting the turkey ID down, the radio, the Mojo Radio Show will pick it up, mate. I think that's a killer. <laughs> What's that? If, if you guys are putting down the turkey ID, the Mojo Radio Show is going to pick it up. Yeah, beautiful. Well, there, there, there's a lot more ideas where that came from. <laughs> AP's doing it. AP in the voiceover is doing it with buffalo wings as we speak. Yeah, um, buffalo wings and lard. Love it. It's interesting, it. Jesse, that. Uh, this is part of the DNA for you guys because I I read somewhere that you so apart from being intentional, which is what you're talking about, these also you also create an expectation because you, you give your staff complete autonomy and creative license, so they feel an ownership of their particular role. And you've said you have zero policies. We give them freedom and we expect creativity. So. It's about being intentional, but then also holding a standard and giving an expectation of the team. That must also, in a, in a way, with that view, must almost give them permission and freedom to create, which many don't. Is that what you're finding? Yes, and in, in, in especially now. You know, we need more entertainment right now. And so, yeah, I mean, basically we're telling them there no idea is a bad idea tested. We don't know whether it's good or bad until our fans tell us it's good or bad. And they won't necessarily tell us it's bad, but they won't show up for it or they won't engage in it. They won't make comments on it. They won't like it and they won't share it. You know, I believe that if you really want to test how good your marketing is, test how many people share it. You know, if, if, if they're sharing, it means they find value in it enough that they want to take credit for it to show it to somebody else. If you're posting things out there on social media that no one's sharing, you're talking too much about yourself and it's not valuable information for the people you're serving. So, um, but we're willing to have people put things out there that maybe don't get shared and we'll learn from it. Hey, that didn't work that well. What's our next at bat? You know, you, we constantly talk about what's our next at bat, what's our next at bat, what's our next at bat. And, uh, you know, we believe that quantity leads to quality. The more we do, the more we learn. And that's been kind of a, one of our big belief systems, do and then learn. It's how we've done everything here. I mean, believe me, from the all you can eat. I mean, the first night we did all inclusive for everyone in the stadium. It was a disaster. <laughs> People waited for two hours to get murdered. It was bad. I mean, it was painful. I was like, I was scared to talk to the fans. But you know what? The next night it got better. Then the next night it got better. And now everyone in our ballpark can be served within minutes at any point. But we could have given up because it failed. But we knew that it would be better for the fans if we just got through it. And sometimes you just have to get through all the crap to get to the good. I bet you if you guys listen to your first show going way back, you'd be like, oh, I can't even listen to this. But now you're like, hey, we're not bad at this. Well, I don't know. Well, still, that's our problem. Still, <laughs> it's just still touch and go. Our mums reckon it's okay, which is why we keep going. Uh, what's really good about you, Jesse, is how much rubber you put on the road. And I think this is something you took from James Altucher, where quantity basically primes the creative muscles, which is how he frames it. But you actually every morning write down 10 ideas for something. Is that something you took from James? And are you still doing that? Probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still do it every day. Yeah. I, I've listened and followed James. So it's probably from him because I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, but yeah, it's been huge for us. So I've, I've probably come up with and written down over 10,000 ideas. Probably 9,896 aren't that good. But uh, <laughs> the reality is there are a few gold ones, as you guys would say. And yeah, that's it. And for me, my framework is I set a theme. I set something that I want to do. Like, so for instance, today, I remember it was our, uh, our security at our ballpark. And so I wrote down what could make our security, our police officers 
fun. And so I started coming up with ideas like they give fun tickets, you know, they do dances, <laughs> improv, you know, they're going to do this. Like, you know, uh, so I started writing down those ideas. And so when I can single down and focus on one area, that's easier for me to uh, come up with ideas. And I think that's been very important on our idea of is to not just say, hey, guys, give us ideas on how we can do this. Like, no, it's very specific and it gets you to bear down on it. You, you're very big on your team as well, your staff. And I saw a report that said, and I'm, uh, this is a quote that I saw, but you said we've paid thousands of dollars for our staff to fall in love with learning. And this article said you even pay your staff to read books and submit a book report. How do you, how do, you do that? Is, it, is that true? And what's behind all that? What, and how do you execute that idea? Sure. Well, again, it goes back to your, our core beliefs. And so, uh, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's keep it simple by the alphabet. Always be caring, different, enthusiastic, growing, uh, enthusiastic, fun, growing, and hungry. And so for growing and hungry, if that's part of our core beliefs, what are we doing to grow and how are we hungry in doing that? So um, came across a great platform. Arnie Malham set, set it up um, called Better Book Club. And uh, basically it has every book imaginable on this platform. And you pick the book and you can ask questions in a book report. We have four questions, favorite quote, uh, takeaways, something that you will implement right away in your life or in your business. And how does it fit to our fans first way? And uh, yeah, every book's 50 bucks, 75 bucks, 100 bucks. We paid thousands of dollars and it's probably one of the best investments we've ever made. So again, I think the key for us is that we're investing in these people as people, not just as employees. We want them to grow and be better people. That's why, you know, we've sent people on their bucket list trips. So we sent Marie, our fans first director, to go to Ireland uh, with her dad and, and have a memory and a, an experience to never forget. We just, before this whole virus, we sent, we put our, took our whole team to Disney and their spouses and significant others so they could experience Disney. And those are very expensive trips, but the reality is we want them to grow people. And to grow as people, you need to get experiences um, other than just what you're used to. You got to take them outside of their comfort zone, and that is in books, that's in trips, that's in just you know showing them more of the world. And you know, I've been so fortunate that I have hundreds of mentors, and most of them are either speakers and authors because that's how I had to learn. When there was no one to teach me when I was 23 years old, the only thing I could do was read. Uh, to learn. And so that's had a big influence on my life. And I'm trying to share that with all of our young team members as well. You've got a philosophy, just to wrap this up, you've got a philosophy based on walking through the door. Just just run that for us. What does that mean to you? <laughs> by the way, I am blown away by your uh, uh, research for this talk. It is, it is unbelievable. But yes, uh, I guess there's a lot of me out there. But <laughs> um, yes, the door is a trigger for me. Um, so as soon as I come to any door, uh, bring the joy, bring the fun, bring the energy. And I either say all three of them or I say one or two, depending on what I want to bring in that door. Um, but that is so important. You know, you could be having a terrible, uh, drive into work. You can be having a terrible day, but then some people are seeing you for the first time. And how do they see you? How do you show up? And my wife, Emily, you know, started saying, as soon as we started working together, she said, every game is someone's first game. And that is something we have signs all around Every game is someone's first game. Today, someone for the first time is listening to this show. How do you want it to be? How do you want that experience to be for them? And so for me, that walking through that door, I'm seeing someone that may not see me before. Maybe they've seen me tons of times. How, how do I uh, project to them and how do I show up for them? So for me, I always want that energy. I want that fun and uh, you know, I want to bring joy. So that's, that's what it is for me. 
By God, you're good. Uh, I just want to wrap up before I throw Robbo for the big question. I think I've sufficiently warmed you up. Uh, I think I've got you on the ropes. Um, there's a just there will be people listening to this, Jesse, who will be thinking in dollars and cents. And we'll be going, yeah, it's all good fun and games. Yeah, it's all good. And yeah, banana costumes. Yeah, but mate, I work in real estate. Yeah, but mate, I work in. What I want to finish with is something I found that said that most games, most of your games are sold out four to six months ahead of time. And there's almost a 500-person waiting list for stadium club memberships, which include catered food and the open bar. And while you're on the wait list, you're not just languishing because the only thing sports fans hate more than buying tickets is not being able to buy tickets. So multiple times a year, you throw free events with food and drinks for those people who are waiting on the wait list. So what that says to me is this is economically successful. You're being duplicated by other people in the league you're winning games. So by every metric, apart from the fact you're having a bit of FUN, by every metric, this is a great success. And I honestly think this is one of the most valuable shows for anybody. And I just hope people don't put the yeah, but onto it. I hope they put in a bit more of the, as you would say, you wouldn't believe. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, we have been so fortunate. We don't talk about money here. Um, you know, that's not something that I don't even know what's on our financial report right now or what's in our bank account. Um, we talk about our fans and serving more fans in a better way and the money takes care of itself. And I'll give you an example of how that's taken care of itself. Um, in our four years here, we have allowed our staff to dictate their own salary. Um, uh, and they've asked for 20%, 30% raises. We said yes to everyone. Um, we have a full profit share program. Uh, we take them on cruises and trips regularly. Um, it's, uh, they are rewarded very, very well and they, they earn it, they deserve it. Um, so we've been able to build substantial profit, uh, into a business by not focusing on the profit and, uh, by focusing on our people and our fans. So, uh, it does work. Um, you know, I think sometimes if you focus so much on the money, you're going to actually make it a worse experience for your fans. If you have two different meetings with your staff and say one meeting, we're going to talk about how do we create more fans and you have another meeting and say, how are we going to create more money? I'll tell you, the money is not going to fit well with the, what creating fans would do. It's not going to be the same thing. So we we focus on that and have been able to reward us. So I appreciate it. Uh, we've seen it work with other industries. Uh, but more than anything, you know, again, it's it's the right conversation. I think we'd rather have a return on purpose than return on investment. And we talk about ROP. We want our people to have purpose. We want our fans to have purpose. We want everyone we touch to have purpose in what they're doing. And hopefully we, with a little bit of fun, a little bit of craziness, a little bit of breakdancing first base coach uh, that happens here at the ballpark. Well, I think it's absolutely fantastic, mate. Uh, just to finish this little shindig off, uh, Robbo, over to you. A nifty 90 time. Have you got 90 seconds, Jesse? Rock and roll. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Robbo's nifty 90. All right, Lola. Roll the clock. When you're not wearing your yellow tux, what's your favourite piece of clothing? Savannah bananas, T-shirt, shorts and sandals. Corporate all the way. I love it. <laughs> what's the best thing about baseball? <laughs> oh, jeez. I almost said when it's over, but um, no, the best part about baseball, uh, the best part... <laughs> The best part about baseball is the celebrations, is the walk-offs, is the bat flips. What's your favorite ball game snack? Ooh, ball game snack. Um, ooh, craft beer. <laughs> I went with a beer. No, it would be... Uh, oh, you're a mojo show, man, all the way through. Yeah, it'd be a hot dog or french fries, but beer. 
<laughs> uh, give me three words that your wife would use to describe you. Crazy, fun, loving. Finish this sentence. I never get tired of. Oh, I never get tired of. Jeez, this is, I mean, I, I would say working, but I mean, that sounds so crazy. I never get tired of working with the bananas. Nice. Uh, if you had to start a new business tomorrow, but you could only use three of the lessons you've learned from the Savannah Bananas, what would they be? Whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Love your customers more than you love your product. And love your team, your people, more than you even love your customers. What's the most valuable personal lesson you've learned in the past four years? Be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. Okay. Now, Gary's warmed you up for the last hour. This is the big question of the interview, so take your time. Don't feel too much pressure. But you wake up in the morning, hopefully not on the airbed. You go downstairs, pour yourself a cup of coffee, but your mojo is just not happening today. You're just not feeling it. Don't, look at the yellow tux. That doesn't even do it. You reach for your iPod, radio, whatever your, your music choice is. What is the song that you turn on to get your mojo suitably lifted and heading you in the right direction for the day? Oh, wow. All right. Um, so I could do some Tropical House Radio, Kygo, but I'm going to go with a, a Panic at the Disco, High Hopes. What a great song. That would be my jam. There you go. He's a modern man, Gaz. That would be my banana jam. Jesse, <laughs> this has been... Fantastic, mate. I honestly, as I said before, I think this is one of the most valuable shows. There is a little button, folks, on the iTunes player, at least, where you can save a podcast. My recommendation is save it, go back and play it again with a piece of paper, make notes, and then execute. Mate, this is gold. I wish you solid success for everything you do and your team. Where For people who want to check out you, your tux, your top hat, the team, everything you do, where is the hub for you and or the Savannah Bananas? I, I've been told you search Yellow Tux anywhere on the internet, you'll find me pretty quickly. So Yellow Tux to find me, I post pretty regularly on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, you know, all the platforms. And Savannah Bananas, search it, you'll find it. There's videos, we have music videos, there's uh, some wild things out there. Uh, but you might go into a rabbit hole. But I, I would suggest anyone watches The Bananas Story. It's a, about a 20-minute mini documentary. It's a, a fun story. I still watch it and get choked up because it brings me back to uh, all the challenges and the adversity and how much it was all worth it. So I um, hope people can check that out as well. Well, I think P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney would be very proud of you, mate, because you've taken everything they live for and brought it to life. Congrats to you and Emily. It's wonderful. And uh, I hope we can keep in touch with you, mate. Thanks. And that means a lot. I'll tell you... Uh, one of the most prepared, researched uh, interviews I've ever been on. And I, it really uh, means a lot to be with you guys and share on your platform. So thank you for everything you're doing. Hi, I'm undercover agent Jay Dobbins. I spent two years living amidst the Hells Angels, but it was nothing like spending one hour on the Mojo radio show. You know, the idea of Palooza that Jesse talked about in there with his staff on the Zoom calls while they, to come up with some ideas... Mm. AP took that idea and ran with it. He's called it Idea at the Boozer. <laughs> and so he's been standing outside his local pub screaming, I've got an idea, I've got an idea, let me in, oh. for the last couple of weeks since we recorded that interview. That is gold. <laughs> in, in a yellow pair of jocks. 
Yes, that's right. The yellow pair of wife runs. <laughs> it's shrinkage. It's shrinkage. What a look. What a look. Uh, now, quickly, before we wrap up the show, there's a fair bit more to come. Uh, from the lockdown, this is interesting. Mm. Do you know of a brand called Peloton? Peloton? No. Oh, no. Is it anything to do with bikes? No. So what it is is a well no it is it's 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 not it's still with bikes but not 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 on the road. Peloton is you buy right. this bike. It's quite expensive, a couple of grand. You buy a bike, put it in your house. You then stream into shows and basically work out or compete against people in all parts of the world. So it's a it's very very big. People like Tim Ferriss and all these guys rave about it. So if you've got the cash, you buy your Peloton bike, put it in your lounge room, you flick on a camera. There's a someone taking the class, an instructor taking the class, and you cycle along. So it's, a, it's an amazing workout done in the comfort of your own home. So these guys have just had one of the largest streamed exercise classes ever. Twenty three thousand people participated in this one class. Wow! They floated during our season six. And the stock didn't do that well, yet it's now up by 60% since the pandemic started. (laughs) Of course it is. So reason I say this is because there's going to become a new normal where things like this, now that we've tried it, are going to stay in place. Another example is premium Mm. video on demand or PVOD as we call it in the business. Because of all the theatre closures, studio execs were forced to do something different. So Trolls World Tour went out on April 10, but instead of being in cinemas because it couldn't, it went out on Apple TV, Xfinity and Amazon Prime. It's so successful, NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schell told the Wall Street Journal that after the pandemic, it'll now release across the world movies both in theatre and via PVOD, premium video on demand. So this is... I'm just I'm, I'm framing these things, people, to think about that the new normal, what's going to stay, what's going to go, and in your business, where are you moving to? The other part of it that I thought was really interesting is at the start of 2020, the music industry was streaming platforms like Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Music were flying. They were booming. However, during the pandemic, they're down by up to 10%. And the reason they're saying is because the top 200 titles aren't being played as much. And they're saying that because we're not driving, working out or commuting to the office, we're not interested as much in our music. Like the environment's not there. Or if we're at home, we're getting distracted by children. Or we're actually having, as we said before in the 80s, real conversations. Isn't it funny how some formats are really going well and some aren't. Mm. However, here's my segue. Spotify, Apple Music and Pandora are now saying that the current hits aren't being played as much, but classic hits are, and they reckon that people want more comfort. Absolutely. That's right. I look at my household, I look at my brother's household and um, the boy's mum's household, and that is exactly the truth. There's so much stuff from the 80s and 90s and a little bit later being played as opposed to the hits, absolutely. It's, um, I don't know, don't know why, but... Speaking of which, you had the chance to fire a question to a living legend from, what, the 70s and 80s, Mr Neil Sedaka. Mr Neil Sedaka, another crooner in the style of, you know, Bob Hope, 
all those sort of guys. Um, yeah, I, I, another podcast that I work on for a client of mine, we had him on the line and just as we finished the interview, I, um, I picked up on something that he'd said during the interview that he enjoyed a bit of a, a drink, one or two drinks, before he got to his songwriting. Uh, you lose your inhibitions. You take different directions in the song. You'll take chances with the melody and lyrics. Uh, it it, it uh, lessens your inhibitions. And, uh, of course, the more you do it, the more you write, the better you become. The more successful the songs are, uh, like the Beatles run, you know they could do no wrong. You become very confident, and that has happened to me. It's a marvellous feeling. Now, I know many of our younger audience will not have known of Neil Sedaka, but he was a legend back in the day. Now, I'm a lot older than most of the listeners. I remember Neil Sedaka. I wouldn't so much say he was a crooner but he was a hmm, classic singer who actually crossed over from probably, well, I wouldn't know he's just a crooner. He kind of crossed over into the pop era because he had a lot of duos. But, uh, man, good get. Wow, Neil Sedaka, that's legendary. That'll be a T-shirt. That'll be a T-shirt. My dad was very jealous. My dad's a huge Neil Sedaka fan. So, um, so yeah. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. All right, to take us out this week, it's been a big show. Time to wrap up this little shindig. Uh, pop quiz, everybody can play. 80s was a time, the music was fun, but movies, there were some crackers that came out of this period. Here's the soundtrack. Oh, goodness. Name the movie. Lola. Oh, Lola. What? Lola? That's Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone from the movie Top Gun. It starred Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis. The soundtrack sold a million copies and the film was the number one box office earner in 1986. Oh, okay, we've got to go. Game on. Uh, Game on, I see. Okay, yes, right, let's go. Second track. That's mine. I knew you you would know this one. AP, go. That's Michael Sambello from the 1983 movie Flashdance. Actually, I'm pretty sure it starred Jennifer Beals, not wearing very much, and made about 200 million bucks worldwide and still making money. Oh, you are a maniac. (laughs) Speaking of which, all right, track three. This is a good game. Here we go. Track three, everybody can play. Listeners at home, please join in. You can send us a text if you know this one. Here we go. Yeah, Robbo, finally. Rob, finally I get Robbo, in. Robbo, go ahead. <laughs> song is Power of Love from Huey Lewis in the News. The movie was Back to the Future and the album was Four, one of the greatest American pop albums of the 80s. All right, nice. It's, it's one for each of three. Here we go. Out of San Francisco for extra points. <laughs> Track four, one of my favourites. Uh, got it. AP. <laughs> uh, Blondie, call me. It was in the 1980 blockbuster American Gigolo, which starred the gerbil-holding Richard Gere and Lauren Hutton. Yeah, don't call me, AP. Okay, track. I'm having. Look, I love. I love this sort of stuff. And everybody, everybody can play at home with us. Let me. Uh, let me see if I find a. Let me find a harder one here for you. That's uh, Arthur's theme from the movie Arthur. And it's Christopher Cross. All right, final one. And the scene of the sad thing is, I think I launched all these movies when I worked for Westfield and shopping centres. I think I launched. This will be a fun one. Okay, first in the wins. This is a, this is the decider. Here we okay, go. Let's go. 
That's Harold Faltermeyer, Axel F from uh, Eddie, the Eddie Murphy movie. Um, oh, it's just gone out of my head again. Um, Beverly Hills Cop. But you also know the tie in there with this show is there's a banana in that movie. There is a banana in banana that movie. in the tailpipe. <laughs> Banana in the tailpipe. Gold. Yeah, good, good segue. <laughs> good tie-up. All right, so that's been a big show, 80s-themed show, a bit of banana action thrown in, a cracking show, i got to say. <laughs> it's a banana yeah. show. <laughs> and, and honestly, Jesse, I, I, I am so excited to start talking to people about how they can execute and implement this because... Uh, and it's it just as, as, as an example, and Robbo will put this up on the, on the book... Uh, Jesse sent us a video from the Savannah Bananas ground in his yellow tux saying thank you for the interview and how much he enjoyed it. He recorded it live, sent it to us. It's just everything that guy does is just such, so, so classic, so showman. But by every metric, you know, you can say what you like, by every metric, that team is a huge success both in the box office, fulfilment, engagement. Publicity, it's fantastic. So to take us out this week, do you want to play Bananarama? Bananarama. <laughs> We've got to. We've got no choice now. I think it's an obvious <laughs> one. We started the show with it. We'll close the show with it. Bananarama. Yeah. We're out.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com and to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.